Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, where we explore pathways to health for self, society, and the planet. We are home to a range of voices, as there is no single roadmap for meeting the challenges of our times. Tune in each week to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Now, here's your host, Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Radio, and this is the Heart Center of Intelligence, and I'm here with Dave Roos, our guest at Type 3. Hi, Dave. Hi. <laughs> we are um, moving through the Enneagram type by type, and for those of you who ha- are just joining us for the first time, we'll be um, sort of dissecting the Enneagram in threes by three different centers of intelligence, and so far we've covered the top part of the diagram, types 8, 9, and 1, which are the instinctual types who lead with their their gut, if you will. But today we take a turn around the corner and we are looking at types 2, 3, and 4. And these are the types that are um, really connected to, all of us are connected in this way, but particularly they, they lead with their heart. And 2, 3s, and 4s are the types that um, that help, help us to know and, and um, knowing themselves deeply, am I am I connected? And do you understand me? And do you approve? Do you like me? And do, do am I lovable at, at the core? Which is a, of course a concern that all of the types have. And um, one thing that is uh, my approach personally, and I know the approach of Enneagram Prison Project, is that the Enneagram system is a, a system about what's right with us. And it's so easy to see all the things that um, that are wrong. But one of my early teachers that is um, somebody that I still um, can learn from and hold in such high esteem is Peter O'Hanrahan, and he says that you can't let your awareness get um, very hot, very far ahead of your self-acceptance. Um, so we have, to, we have to stay with the things that we can accept and, and see in ourselves. And I see so many things in the heart types that are, um, are necessary in the world. And in type three, we... Um, we really, I think, get to learn about what's hopeful. Type threes are the, the type that they, they want to tell the truth about um, what's possible. And I think that um, I, I could say a lot about type three, but I just want to start by, by introducing you to my guest and letting you know a little bit about him. I, I think Dave can do that better than me. I just start with welcoming you, and first of all, to the show and also to the work of Enneagram Prison Project. Um, how is it, Dave, that you understand yourself to be a three? What was the first thing that gave it away to you? The first thing that gave it away to me was just the statement, I don't like vacations. <laughs> and it was amazing to me. And I just knew that that was me because I'd never heard of anybody that didn't like vacations. And not liking vacations has a very much bigger meaning. It means that I like to have projects more. I like to know what I'm doing. I don't like to sit and and just sit. I want to have something to do. And so when I'm on vacation, the vacation is sitting on the beach, sitting in, you know, sitting somewhere. And so I would structure the vacation as much as I could. And my poor wife, who is not a three, didn't always like that. So I would bring all sorts of things on vacation with me. Once I bought a whole bunch of doors, and I had to re- I had to strip them during the vacation. <laughs> and and you know nobody but a crazy person would do that, in my opinion. So hearing that threes don't like vacations, I I instantly connected. Well, and in your defense, I happen to have a lot of three in my life. My father's a three. My sister's a three. I think my little boy's a three. And um, so I have a lot of affection for your, your personality type. And I, I happen to know that there's a lot of upside to that. So what's good about this having to do all the time? I, I'm very happy with my number. So lately I'm getting older and I'm starting to realize that being a three is exhausting also <laughs> because you're always into doing something and you try to do it well and but you also try to go quickly so perfection is not a three thing you've already talked about the one the one 
wants to be perfect. The three wants to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And why is it so important to get it done? Well, because the three's life is, is made up of goals. And the problem, and so this brings up a huge problem because you're not happy until you've reached your goal and then you have to find another goal until you're not happy until you reach the next goal. And so the, the goal orientation takes away from the process orientation. And what threes should learn and hopefully will learn someday is that the process is what is the beauty of, of what your project is. And the process is all important. And the goal takes away from everything else because we're sitting in a room right now that I built. And I built this room while we had five children. And we had five children that were young. And my wife took care of them. And what was I doing on my spare time, which I didn't have a lot of, building the room. Right. Was I ever satisfied with what I had done? No, because there was always more on the list. And and it, it, it just, and so those are the, the upside is that you get a lot done, that people trust you, that people like you, that that they will accept you for knowing what you're talking about, even if you don't. But the 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 goal situation is there's better ways to live. Well, this is what's what's striking me as I'm listening to you because um, you know you've lived some life, you have grown children, you've done a lot of different things, and maybe we'll get to all, some of those, and maybe we won't. But the important thing is that I think if you're just listening, you're trying to understand what's the what's the deal with the three. And you're just tuning in. Dave is not gonna probably give you this, the easiest stereotype, right? So I'll, I'll back it up a little bit just because I think that um, an, a younger version of three, this, the, the fixated three is under the belief that I am what lovable because I do. I am what I do, in fact. And so threes, um, because at really the, the, the core, none of us feel like we're lovable unless we are something besides what we truly are, right? And for three is that I have to be the best. So if your belief is that I have to be the best, then there's propaganda and there's self-promotion and there's all these things. If you give a three that's really not aware of this pattern inside of themselves, they might be really jump at the opportunity to tell you all the things that they've done and what's good about the type. But it's, you can almost feel, I wouldn't quite call it a reluctance, but I would say a, a somberness about you, where you you're like kind of you're onto yourself in a way. Can you, it, That's what's coming sure. up for you. Tell but me. But if I go back to age 20, 21, 22, you know it, it yeah, it was constant work, constant doing, and and um, and and thinking that I was having a really good time. <laughs> now that I look back. I'm not sure how much of the time I wasn't just being driven. Right, well you make a good point that as soon as you um, do something, you finish this amazing room that we're sitting in and then there's another room and another room. So one of the things that I, I really feel is true about the Enneagram is that it shows us where we're all so fiercely addicted to our type. Yeah, so and can I ask you, what was it about being a father of five I have four. I have three children. You know, what is the, was it about being a father of five children that was made it hard for you to be present? No, well, that's a really good question. Because I did not feel the meaning in being a father. I was a soccer coach. I did things like that. So if I could do something as a father, I would try to do it. I got him horseback riding. I took him skiing. I took him showed him how to water ski, taught him how to do all those sort of things. And the doing part of being a father, but the sitting on a couch and reading to them, that part of being a father was not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and so if, if I was home, I would rather be busy doing something. Right. And, and so that's why I would escape to, and I, and I have still have that problem that, that I want to escape to something that I have control over, that I can make come out the way I want it to. You know, control is at the bottom of many issues, and certainly the, the three wants to control his environment as much as he can. Right. So I think that even backing up further, in, in nine different ways, none of us really want to slow down and be with ourselves. 
very much. Um, we don't know that this is going on. We start to see the, the way that we don't want to be our, with ourselves when we can see that it's hard for us to be with other people too, right? And that doing is, the, is a way, as a distraction from being inside of myself. If I'm not able to be with myself, then I sure as heck don't want to sit and read a book with you who wants to be close to myself because I don't even know who that is in there, right? So where, where did you... Um, where did you come by this strategy of doing instead of having to be with yourself? That must have happened for you very early on in your life. Do you remember how that strategy helped you survive your own childhood? In my childhood, I had—I think everybody has somewhat of a difficult childhood. I, we were immigrants and, and there was a, uh, a lot of problems from leaving. Uh, we, 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 we fled from World War II. And uh, so my mother and father were sort of weird as far as I was concerned. And, and so the more things I could do to be out of the house and doing things was, you know, I had chickens very young and I built the chicken coop and took care of the chickens. And, you know, I built things and built kites and then would go off and fly them. And, and I think that, that, I, that there was always the quest to find something to do. And there's a lot of questions about whether the Enneagram is a, whether your type is inherited or environmental. And I'm sure it's a combination, but I, I think I grew, I was born as a three. That, that's yeah. what I would say, yeah. but that's of course an opinion. Yeah, well you're bringing up some interesting points too. I mean, I agree with you, I think that we're, we're are the, there's a big conditioning environment that helps to create our type structure. There's also a biological component. We're organized in a certain way. We look for things in a certain way. And I have little kids. I have ha I have had little kids, and I've watched them as they develop. And they're they, I don't I think they come up, come with a lot of their own nature. And um, you said that when you were an immigrant family, that you were kind of weird. And so that seems like a perception of how you thought other people saw you. Is that what you is that what you meant? How were you weird? Well, my father was thirty five years older than my mother, which was certainly weird in in those days and uh, or now even. And uh, I had two brothers with Asperger's. So of course we there was no diagnosis of Asperger's in those days and I had ADHD. And so we were not the Dick and Jane family. Nobody is. There yeah. are no Dick and Jane family. Right. But we were so far from the Dick and Jane family. Right. My, my mother, during the growing up period, had braids around her ear because that was the style that she had from Holland. And so she had these braids around her ear. And my, my father, who was incredibly intelligent, sort of just lay on a couch and listened to music. And so, but he was a lot older. He was, in, he was over 60 when I was born. So what are you gonna do, you know? he he. It was his time to be quiet, and that's what he did. He was in a foreign country, and that's what he did. So, I think a lot of kids grow up thinking that they're weird, yeah. and that that's part of growing up. You know, you you look at a family down the block, and and you say they have it all put together, but our family's not so hot. Right, but what I think is interesting that happens not just for threes or twos, threes and fours, but for all of us in childhood is that. We interpret the experience of our childhood very personally, as though there's something about that that's reflective of me. And um, if my dad is on the couch and not available to me, I, and one interpretation of that might be, um, you know, interested in me. I don't know what, what what was it like for you as a little guy to have that. It, it, it's really hard to remember, and so and I I have had a lot of trouble remembering my childhood. Uh, but I retreated into dreamland and into books. Mm -hmm. And I'd read animal stories constantly. And the library was tiny where we grew up and I read all the animal stories and there were a lot of animal stories. And But, so I think, I think we live in a dream many, many times, but I know that I would go to bed early so I could daydream. And I would daydream about me being a hero and me, you know, concrete, whatever it was. And that was how I lived when I grew up. I'm gonna pick that up when we come back. We'll be right back with Revolutionary Talk Radio. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. We're back with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, and I have my guest, Dave Roos. We're talking about type 3. Dave, you're talking about your childhood, and it seems like you had these two different mechanisms, one to go way up in your mind and to be in, like you said, some you know, other world, and also to get out and go and go and do. And um, I have a type 3, like I said, of, as my, um, a father, and I, I, I remember um, when we had painful things, um, my mom died, when I was only five, and my dad's solution was to, we were in constant motion, and we were always gone on, on weekends. We were always doing. There was always a project, and people thought our house was such a was such a great place to be. So, I have all those those warm memories of it because it does help one to get out of hard circumstances to just get up and, and do. I agree. Yeah. It 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 uh, yes. It, it immediately. It, it immediately takes you to a new place, and and if you have just left a place that is not so nice, the doing, the project takes your mind, takes your energy, and there you are, and you're happy in, in your new place. And I think that in our um, the way it works inside of ourselves is that when we do something that works, then we are very likely to do it again because it worked the first time. So we do do that again and again and again. And then not and not just for your type, but for all the types, it starts to feel a little bit like an identity, like that's just me. And also I think the way the brain works is that we get a little dopamine hit every time we do something like that that feels good and we get an accolade for it. And um, three's really, um, we hear a lot from them, it's really important to, um, to be recognized that people see me, that, um, that I know that I, people think I, I did something well. Can you talk a little bit about that, that inside of you? How is that? It, it's really, Susan, it's really true that the acceptance is, exception, acceptance and accolades. And I have been very lucky in life, or maybe unlucky, who knows, to get a lot of acceptance and accolades. And, and certainly there have been many times when I haven't, but... I think that those things really feed us, and um, yes, but the other thing about goals are very interesting. I, I had a goal that I always wanted a certain kind of career, and I got a letter in the mail one day 
saying that I had gotten into school to do that career. And I got depressed. And I got depressed because I didn't know what to do next. And, and I didn't see the ongoingness of the process. And of course I was a young guy, and, but I had that with other things too. I wanted to run a six minute mile. Well, after I ran a, ran a six minute mile, I quit running for quite a while. So it, 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 it's funny, you get, the, you get the hit and then you don't really know where the next place is that you can get the hit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what you talked about, I think also is that, and I, I, we talked about this a few minutes ago outside, but we, what we said was that, that every type is addicted, that it's an addiction. And so getting the dopamine hit that you were talking about is the, addict, the addictive portion of our type. And my addiction came from getting things done. Yeah, and so the, the, the drug of choice is the approval and the hit is I got the applause, but of course, just like any good drug, I need another fix. Yes. And so then that's the exhaustion factor. Does that happen for you? Oh, yes. <laughs> but you don't say that you're exhausted. You don't say you that. Know, never, never, never. You don't, you know, with my wife and late in the, well, what I consider late in the evening, I say I've had it, I've got to go to bed. But, but basically, then you're up the next day going at it again. <laughs> and it's fine. It's a, way of, it's a way of doing things. But it is... It is an addiction, and I think it's very important to know that. There's something that goes along with it that helps you out too. There's this, this thing traditionally we call the, the passion for type three is this um, element of deceit, right? There's a, it's not just that threes lie, of course all of us can lie, but it's more of a self-deceit. Like I deceive myself that I'm, like you said, I, I'm, I'm happy or that I'm, um, I'm what I want to be or that I've met my goal. How is self-deceit um, working for you? Is it something Well, the you... deceit, I, I, get, I actually feel that the deceit is also arrogance, that we are so sure that we can accomplish something. And my most horrible story of, of this is that my wife was busy taking a test for something that was very hard for her. And I decided that that was the time that I was going to redo her whole kitchen. And she said, well, I really don't want my kitchen out of place while we're, I'm doing this. I said, it'll just take a couple of weeks. It took, it, it took a, I think, a couple of months. And, and you know, how the deceit hurt somebody else. And I had, and I actually somehow believed myself that I could do it in that period of time. And it was bullshit. I mm. couldn't do it. Mm. But you said earlier that you was really, um, you were driven by wanting to be the hero. So yes. at some level, are you not just loving your wife? I mean, I think that we, we come by our, our habits out of innocence, actually, right? There's something under it that's actually very pure. Well, I really wanted to make the kitchen nice, and it did turn out nice. But, it, but it, why? But well, why, why did you want to make the kitchen nice? For well, yourself? No, certainly for Sandy, but but not at her expense, and yes. it turned out to be at her expense. Right, and that's the that's the deceit part. Right? I think we don't you don't realize in the moment that you're doing it for the accolade, so that you can feel like you've done this lovable loving thing, or that you'll be lovable to the person that you're you feel so much endearment for. Right? It's not where it starts. No, it that's definitely true. But the deceit was also in in outright not having any idea how long it would take me. Right, and I think this is the healing part and the helpful part about being onto ourselves in relationship. I think we can't heal anything and except for in relationship, actually. And so being able to recognize that personality is actually not personal. You wrecking her kitchen while she's in the middle of an important exam actually had very little to do with her in an interesting way and everything to do with you when you break it down. Yes. Is the Enneagram coming to your marriage and to your relationships? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, my wife is very, very interested in, in, in uh, the Enneagram too. She's a therapist and she uses it in her work. And, and so it, it does come into the relationship tremendously. Um, that that she, she is a nine and she would like 
things to be sort of smooth and she's a peacemaker and she doesn't like conflict and she doesn't like to be rushed and things like that and I was the rushing kind of person and it took, there's a lot of learning and Susan just said something that I think was so important she said that that learning comes from the relationship and I would be a piece of dog manure if it weren't for the marriage and for learning through having a wonderful relationship with my wife mm. because she can tell me when I'm really off and she does and I know and I get it. And for those of you that are listening, I just want to call out a couple other things that are just coming to me as I'm listening to Dave because there is um, the corollary to the this deceit or the, on the other side of it is that when we get onto ourselves that this self-deceit can make us take on things you know way over our heads and get us going in directions that are you know kind of running amok um when we when we're aware of that there's almost like threes become the keepers of truth they become unwilling to compromise truth they become um there's this veracity actually about you guys really truth truth telling quality but it's not just a, a crass tell the truth thing there's it's like truth with a lot of heart and that's really what I experience in you and I'm wondering can you feel the sort of the trajectory for yourself of like where you've come from and where you feel that quality in yourself now can you talk a little about that well I just wrote an article on maturity and uh, and and a big part of maturity is showing up I, that is the responsible part of maturity. It's not, there's much more to maturity than showing up. But I know that for me, if I tell somebody I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. I know that for me, if I tell somebody I'm gonna be somewhere, I'm gonna be there. And, and, and that part of honesty, I think is incredibly important, the truth. But yeah, the, the truth is very, very important. But one of the things that that a person who's very big in the Enneagram circle said, told me very early on when I was taking therapy from him because I was screwing up so badly, <laughs> was that the other part, the other part of the opposite from vanity is hope. And vanity and arrogance and, and deceit um, are, the opposites are truth and hope. And the hope for three as Dave Daniel explained to me, is that they would see that they don't have to do everything themselves. And what he said is that you go into a forest and you look at the trees and you look at the bushes and you look at the grasses and you look at the creek and everything is doing everything all by itself. There is nothing for you to do, nothing for me to do, but to walk and enjoy and have gratitude for the beauty. So, so that, those are the high points of three, and, and, and I can do that much more, but I'm getting to be an old fart. So <laughs> that is, I wish I had been able to do that sooner, but those are, are the lovely parts. Well, we get what we get when we get it. You can't really rush that along. And, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And I feel like the other element of three is sort of a similar thing of what you're saying, that when threes really get that they are lovable just in their being, just in who we are, all of us are, there's nothing to improve upon, there's nothing. But when we really connect with the source of who we are, then the light that's inside of us, then it radiates outward. And, um, and people are really drawn to that. And then they're drawn to come and co-create with us and to, to support us. And a lot of things can happen, actually can happen so much faster. But the addiction for the three is in, is in the work and the doing and forcing things and being the, having, forcing the world to turn. And, um, and I, I feel that um, it's, it, it seems like it would be a relief in some ways to know that it's not all up to me. It, it is an incredible relief. And I, now I can sit after I've done something or after a certain period of time, I, I just sit in the sun and, 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 and just marvel at, at, at nature and, and try to be just present to the moment. But those are things that took me a long time to get to. Well, and it's very touching. This is one thing that I really appreciate about spending time with you because you are such a doer and you make a lot of jokes about yourself in that way. It's true. Um, but you're, 
I think your heart feels really available. And um, I keep telling you how you remind me of my dad. So this, is, this feels very tender to me too. But not that long ago, my dad was visiting and we're sitting on the bleachers watching one of my boys play baseball and his eyes filled with tears just because he was there enjoying that sweet moment. And it reminds me of you saying you built this beautiful room when you had five kids. And I think um, George Eliot said it right when she said, it's never too late to become the person you might have been. And for me to, to see my dad falling for my children from the bleachers at, in his 70s is just as special. It's just a different timing for the special. So it seems like there are a lot of, um, a lot of places where you become present. How do you find that you connect with what is best? Well, I think that you give, that what I try to do like crazy is give full attention to whatever is happening and, and try not to be thinking other thoughts. So whatever it is that I'm doing, whether it's washing the dishes, which Brother Lawrence taught us all about, or whether it is uh, uh, building something, or whether it's now driving you know, even driving, you know that you pay full attention to that, you know that you just be present with where you are. And because, you know, there was a, a sign on the, on the bingo parlor wall that said, you have to be present to win. And that sign means so much to me because what it means is, to me, it means that life happens right now. And the more you think about that, the more you, we shouldn't be thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, where we're going to be tonight, what's going to be for dinner, you know, is it lunchtime yet? We just need to be here now. And it, it is something, it's a practice, just like everything else. Mm. It's like everything else is a practice. There's nothing in life that's not a practice. Mm. And, and this is a practice. And you just start by, by, by doing it. And when you... And it's not a sin when you're daydreaming, and it's not a sin when you're thinking of something else, and it's not a sin when you say, I wish I were somewhere else, but it's keeping you from where you are now. It's beautiful. We're talking with Dave Roos, and this is Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com In these times of converging crisis, the world needs us now more than ever before. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is devoted to amplifying inspiring voices facing challenging realities head-on opening up new places of power and inviting curiosity about the paths we might take toward personal, communal, and global health. The magazine aspires to help us become the change we wish to see in the world, co-creating the more beautiful world we know to be possible. Join us on this journey. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. 
Our hosts are clinicians of mind and body medicine and lifestyle change. They are writers, activists, educators, and change agents. You can reach the show and our hosts at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. We're talking with Dave Roos, our guest, who's a type 3. And <clears throat> Dave, one of the things that you um, talked about early on is goals and goals and goals. And you know, you've been on to that. And along with goals, roles, having to be the best and um, dealing with yourself when you're not. And now in this, um, I would say, call it more seasoned part of your life, um, you still are a person who is pretty tenacious about wanting to take on more things. And one of the things that you're, um, for those of you who might not know, that Dave has been a, a real supporter of any Grand Prison Project for a number of years and in spirit um, to start when we met and also in um, mentoring and coaching different people through the project and um, thinking about um, coming into the classroom as a teacher in the near future. So why at your age are you finding um, that, how, or not why, but how are you finding that this um, moving into new territory, setting a, a bar uh, for yourself, how is that different? How are you approaching this new endeavor differently from how you might have in your 20s? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. In my 20s, I, I, I probably have been the most immature person in the whole world. When I got married at age 22 and my wife was 19, you know, I had no maturity whatsoever. And I, I don't know how I did anything then. I just would fly into the next whatever it was. Just go to, just do whatever I needed to do. I liked to build cars when I was a kid. And so, you know, and I wouldn't do a very good job, but the car would run just barely and I'd park on a hill so I could get it to run again. But it, but in those days there was no, there was no sense of, of anything but just doing. And now the sense is that there, that there's a big, huge world out there that needs a lot of stuff. There's a lot of sadness in the world, a lot of needs in the world. And at my age, I can certainly help to, to work on that. And that becomes a conscious decision. I have very strong feelings that we don't make decisions very often in life that in almost all of life, life just makes them for us. Like, like I, I've always said to people that the reason I got married at 22 is because I wanted sex with this beautiful woman, and that was the only way that I was gonna get it. And, and so that, that's what I did, it, but it wasn't a mature thing. And at this stage, I can make decisions based on what is important. And, and thank goodness that I can, that I have enough money that I can spend the time doing it, that I can. So it, it, it's called the difference between being a little child and being mature or partially mature, because I don't think you ever get there. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that, that's what I would say. Yeah, with a lot that, of consciousness. Yeah, you just don't, you know, getting married, where we lived, all those sort of things, you know, you think you make the decision, but it's just actions that happen that make things fall into place. And then you think, oh, I've decided that. And I don't believe that. And if people look back at their lives and really think about it, you will see that you were sort of pushed or pulled or it just happened. It wasn't a real decision. Mm. And also that there isn't a, a wrong step that no matter which way you go, I think that there's a lot of I call the universe or God or whatever you call that, right? There's a lot of uh, ways that we're invited to wake up along the path. <laughs> yeah. So maybe um, could you share a little bit about what it's been like for you in working with Enneagram Prison Project and the different aspects where you've, you've dipped in and um, maybe we, we could talk about the, the coaching aspect and the mentoring aspect. Some people would say, that, you know, therapists shouldn't even counsel somebody that's the same type as them. But we did a radical thing as we put you with somebody who's exactly your same type. And, and that's kind of a perfect storm or a perfect mirror. Was that, what, what was that like for you? So, yeah, I, I, I actually have, have greatly enjoyed my mentoring role. I, I've mentored somebody who, uh, 
was very angry coming out of prison and also really thinking that he had been wronged by going to prison. And over the course of time, he has actually realized that prison was, was a lemon that he turned into a lemonade because he started to grow up. And he started to realize his place in all the things that have happened and his responsibility for what has happened. And so to me, if, if, if I can help somebody do anything like that, that they can become more self-aware. To me, self-awareness is so, it's at the bottom of everything. Otherwise, we just, everybody pushes our button. And I, I was working somewhere today and a guy came up to me and he was just complaining, complaining, complaining because there was an Asian-only nursery school that he saw. And he got so angry that it was only Asians that he thought that was discrimination. And I mean, he spent all his time wasting that on this instead of just saying, oh, isn't that interesting? It's an Asian-only working nursery school. And he, he just pushed around by things. And I think that, that if people want to be mentored, want to be helped, that they learn a little bit more about themselves so they're not so pushed around by the world, that the world, that they can deal with the world and allow whatever happens in the world to be as it is. It's like running into a brick wall. You keep on running into the same brick wall over and over and over, and the brick wall doesn't care. And you keep running into it because you're not aware of what you're doing to make life so difficult. And, and that's what I think mentoring can help people with if they're interested enough to, to want to do it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the beautiful expression of how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really got to want to change. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, isn't that the truth? So mentoring has its ups and downs, you know. I, I, I laughed at this guy and tried to get him off of it, and I could not get him off of it at all. He, he had to continue complaining about this nursery school and how discriminatory it was. And you couldn't have a white only, white, Caucasian white kid nursery school. You could not have that. And I sort of agree with him, but who gives a shit? <laughs> well, and the, and the work, I guess, right alongside him is it's not your job to get him off of it anyway, right? Yeah. Like, that was just as soon as you let that go, then really you don't have to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, you've come into the, the jail with us, too. Can you say a little bit about how that impacted you, what that was like? It was incredible to see these guys in their orange jumpsuits. It was freezing where we were when we were in the jail that day. And they, were, they had nothing on. I had three layers on. They had, they had one shirt on. And how serious they were about understanding understanding what Susan was trying to teach them. It was, it was a beautiful experience for me. And because all of us would like to do good works, you know, how do we do good work? Well, you'll all figure out your own way. But the good work of helping somebody to understand their part in what's happening to them and not constantly blaming others and not constantly blaming circumstances and that if we can do that for somebody, isn't that incredible? So that's what I would say about that. And I saw Susan just love these people and they were loving her and and they were really trying to, there was good attention in the room, they weren't picking their noses or doing other things, they were very interested and, and I loved it. Yeah, well we don't bring anybody in that isn't willing to, to love the people in front of them and um, one of the sort of um, I don't know what you call it, rules, I guess, that we have about people coming in is they have to be willing to disclose their own type because that's the common denominator and that now we all have a common language that everybody's in a prison that they make for themselves and once you pick a type, you have to kind of start to come to terms with that. So that's a real playing field leveler and um, you really showed up that way that day, I would say, for sure. And um, you've also been in- involved in a like a pen pal role, which is a, a piloting venture for EPP where we... Um, we're excited to grow that program and maybe is there anything that you can say about that and what it's like been like to be a pen pal? The pen pal is, is 
incredibly difficult um, because I, I want to not come across as having the answer. I do not want to come across as knowing stuff. I mean, you know, that, that I have the answer and you, you poor, miserable person, you do not have an answer. And it, it, of course that's not true. And, and so, so I feel like I need to tell him things with, but what I try to do is share of myself and how I am in the same place as he is, except I'm free as a bird, but that I could be easily where he is too, that circumstances could be different, that his upbringing and his, his the way he got to where he is is, is, is understandable. And, and my, I felt that I was not the best father in the world. And my wife has always told me, if you could have done better, you would have done better. And I believe that that is so important for us all to know that people have to accept where others are because they don't know any better. If they did, they would do different. Right, right. I think that one thing I've noticed when we bring people inside, and this is true for myself um, also, is that I think people feel a need to um, lead with the, the bad things or the, the rebel things about ourselves so that we can feel a commonality. But one, what I really feel from many, many of our students is that they're quite drawn to the light about us, right? People want to hear the good stories. What they really want um, is a blend. They want to hear the, the truth and they want to hear the possibility and they want to hear the honest past. And so I think you do a remarkable job of showing up like that. I think that's why um, that's why people relate so much to you. That's that's why it's such a pleasure to speak with you today on the show. And I want to appreciate you for being here. We have just about two more minutes to, to share before we're going to come to a close. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you'd like to say that you might not have, have had a chance to say about um, the, the path of a three and the hope of a three, you know, for, for people who are just maybe coming into looking at themselves, or people have been looking at this for a long time and get exasperated with themselves, what would you say to a person starting to uncover who they are when they find that they identify with the performer achiever? Oh, I would, I, I think we're, we're actually a wonderful type because we, we, we have an easy way of being with people. We can enjoy other people and we can get a lot of things accomplished and we're very, very lucky. And I feel huge gratitude for all the things that I've been able to do. It's I an think adaptability to you guys. You know, there's a real, um, you attune easily to the people around you and you, you know how to connect, would you say? That's right. And we're somehow, people trust us. Mm -hmm. People trust us and I finally just realized, and just this last week I think I realized, that people like me mm. and and they like me you know I sort of have a smile on my face a lot and I walk along a sidewalk and somebody smiles and nods at me and, and I think to myself my goodness you know isn't that wonderful and and I think it has to do with with what Susan was talking about. I think the, the lightness of being sort of I, I don't think threes take themselves too incredibly seriously I don't know whether that true of all the threes but I don't think I ever took myself real real serious I sort of thought well you're going to get by on this one you're going to get by on that one well it sounds like you got serious about liking yourself and that's the light that you're talking about that you don't have to go try to turn the light towards yourself anymore and be the spotlight and be the hero that you lead with your own heart and that people find that very attractive and that's a nice place to be I've been a very fortunate person in my life. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dave. And one of my good fortunes is knowing Susan. <laughs> We're a little love fest going on here if you can't hear it. Thank you so much for being here and helping us to learn. And thank you for your, your huge heart and contribution. Really a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you, Susan. Bye for now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to new ways of seeing, to greater degrees of compassion, and to pathways to health for our world with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. 
Join us next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to expand your perspective, deepen your attention, and cultivate practices that support personal, communal, and global health on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.